Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, my colleagues Colleen Dully and Gerard O'Connell take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Colleen is out this week. I'm Ricardo De Silva, Associate Editor at America Media. I'll be your stand-in host this week. Russia has launched a military assault on Ukraine, hitting targets across the country. U.S. President Joe Biden has condemned the attack as unjustified and unprovoked. As we're recording, a 40-mile-long Russian artillery convoy, that's a 64-kilometer column of Russian arsenal, is headed towards Kiev in an effort to take the capital city of Ukraine on the sixth day of the Russian invasion. Saying 75% of Russia's troops along the border are now fully engaged in the fight. A primary target, Kyiv. Before we get into this week's show, we want to acknowledge first the wanton loss of innocent life and devastation that this war has brought for all on the ground in the Ukraine. The pictures that fill our social media feeds are chilling. At America Media, we are praying for an end to this cowardly violence inflicted upon innocent and vulnerable people. We hope that the attacks will soon stop and that a resolution towards peace may come. But this war has also cut close to home for us, especially on Inside the Vatican. Jerry's wife, Elisabetta Piquet, is an international correspondent for La Nación, a newspaper in Argentina. Elisabetta, ¿qué tal? Buenos días o buenas tardes para vos. ¿Estás viendo este, movimientos pues, de tropas? Las sirenas, así que eh, me voy a decir esta mañana, cuando me había exportado la noticia, es que era que las fuerzas rusas habían eh, tomado. At this present moment, Elisabetta is in Kiev, and we want to acknowledge that for our listeners today. Jerry, welcome. It's not the sunny weather kind of welcome that we usually have, but welcome to our show this week. Thank you, Ricardo. It's quite cold here in Rome. It's even colder in Kiev. There's real fear. Jerry, where is Elisabetta now? Elisabetta is in a hotel on the side of Maiden Square, which is Independence Square. It's the central square in the city, and I fear it could well be a target for certainly a goal for the Russians if they want to enter the city. This is the third hotel that she's been moved to since she arrived last week in Ukraine. Is that correct? That's correct. She arrived a week ago. The first hotel, she spent one night and then they closed the hotel because they didn't have a bomb shelter and they were afraid. And so then she moved to a second hotel, which she stayed until this morning. And that hotel had had 40, 50 people. Uh, and they would spend much of the time in a kind of garage bomb shelter under the hotel because of the constant sirens and warnings of attacks. And there were many children in down there. There was a child with grave disabilities, an elderly person with Alzheimer's, and uh, mothers. And so this morning they moved to this hotel in the center of the city where there are several journalists, but also 
When she got to the hotel, she discovered that many journalists were leaving because we we're expecting a major attack on the city tonight and in the coming days. Mm. But you've both decided that it makes sense for Elisabetta to stay there. This must be incredibly frightening and distressing for you and for your family. You have two children as well. And yet Elisabetta is staying on to cover this war. She told me she wanted to stay on. I agreed with her because she's gone to report on the reality of the war and what it is doing to this city of three million people, city of the population of Rome. She is very courageous and uh, I'm very proud of her. Jerry, you can be assured of our prayers for Elisabetta, for you and for your family and all in the Ukraine at this awful, awful time. Thank you. I think uh, she feels her job, her journalism is to report the truth as is happening. The witness to the truth can be very costly sometimes. So let's talk about what is happening. So we're recording this episode on Tuesday. It's the first day of March. So by the time our listeners listen to this episode on Thursday or Friday, the events will likely have shifted significantly. The invasion is developing rapidly. Kharkiv has been heavily bombed for the second day. Russian missiles have now exploded in the residential northeastern parts of that city, the second largest Ukrainian city. And President Volodymyr Zelensky has called for a no-fly zone over Ukraine. What else are you hearing from where you are in Europe and also from Elisabetta? Well, I hope our listeners understand that this is the gravest threat to peace in Europe since the Second World War. The last time Kiev was invaded was in 1941, and it was by Hitler. This war already into its sixth day has driven 600,000 people out of the country. They've gone refugees to Poland, to Romania, to Moldova, to Slovakia, to Hungary. We don't know exactly the number killed, but we do know that 16, 17 children have been killed already. Missiles have been shot into residential areas of cities. We have seen that the Ukrainian people have risen up. They did not attack Russia. Putin decided to attack them. And they have refused to bow to become a subject of Russia. They have opted that they want freedom for themselves and for their children. So the, the big fear is that Putin has entered the country with certain goals in mind. One, to demilitarize the country. He doesn't want it to be under the influence of the West. Secondly, he has set out to remove the democratically elected leadership of the country in 2014. He wants it removed. He calls them Nazis, and he wants denazification. This is really beyond belief when you think that the president, Zelensky, is Jewish. And then the whole of the country has, has reacted. They want their freedom. They say, we want to be with Europe. Almost two weeks ago now, last Monday week, Putin in a long, long speech, which many people will have seen on the television, he de declared that these two separate parts of the Ukraine, recognizing them as separatist republics. But he miscalculated on the spirit of the people, that they want freedom and that they're prepared to die for freedom. He miscalculated on Europe. He wanted to split the European Union. He wanted to split NATO. And these have never been more united in the history 
of Europe and in the history of NATO. And those are perhaps some of the most hopeful scenes, you know, kind of just seeing the people taking to the streets in Russia. Um, social media has really erupted with support for Ukraine. It, the, the human family has really been pulling together. And so it does seem like on some level, this is a war being waged by one man. They refer to it in frequently now as Putin's war. Yes. I mean, so much so that Zelensky is even saying, you know, the, the International Crimes Court needs to investigate now for crimes against humanity. But really, the Western leaders suddenly realized that he has to be stopped. Two weeks ago, Ricardo, when the Pope raised the question, calling for prayers for peace in Europe and in the Ukraine, none of us, I don't think any of the political and analysts in the world, could have imagined the transformation that we've seen in the geopolitical situation in the last six days. Pope Francis has said several times since he's become Pope, we are in the Third World War going piecemeal. And now with this invasion of Ukraine, we are indeed very close to this, especially since Mr. Putin has put his nuclear forces on high alert. On Sunday, Pope Francis spoke his most direct words about this escalating war. At his usual address, uh, you know, at St. Peter's Square, he turned to the crowds and he said, in recent days, we have been shaken again by something tragic, war. And then he ended that address and he said, put down your weapons. God is with peacemakers, not with those who use violence. Jerry, these are very strong words from the Pope. Yes, they're strong words, but they're only the latest in a long series of statements by the Pope. First of all, warning against going down the road of conflict, appealing for negotiated settlements, and then calling last week that everybody on Ash Wednesday fasts and prays for peace in the Ukraine. But he's also made some very concrete actions himself, right? I mean, he's made calls to certain people, he's visited certain people. Can you tell us about those? Yes, last Friday, Pope Francis took the most unusual step. Bypassing protocol, he went and visited the ambassador of the Russian Federation, who is the personal representative of President Putin to the Holy See. He drove down in his car, went into the embassy. Normally, in any country, you don't see, for example, President Biden going down the road to the Russian embassy to talk to them. The Russian ambassador will come to the president or to the foreign ministry. And he went alone. He didn't have anybody with him. The Vatican said nothing. But the news broke, first of all, because somebody spotted the car coming out from the embassy. And secondly, uh, because then the ambassador, the Russian ambassador, said the Pope had come in to express his concern over the war and uh, the concern for the elderly, the sick, the people who would be displaced. Now we know, because Cardinal Parolin said it on Sunday, that the Pope asked for the war to be stopped and for negotiations. The message was obviously for President Putin. Now, Francis knows Putin because he's met him three times in November 2013, June 2015, July 2019. He's got a good idea about the man, the soul of the man, what kind of type he is. He didn't try to phone him. Maybe he asked the ambassador. We don't know what happened because the Pope hasn't said and the ambassador has been economical with 
what the Pope has said. But the Pope spent around 40 minutes there. That was Friday last week. Then on Saturday, the Pope got on the phone to President Zelensky. We knew that because, first of all, the Ukrainian embassy to the Holy See broke the news. And then the president on his Twitter account said, I thank Pope Francis who came and he said, I am praying for peace and for a ceasefire. These are very concrete measures. And of, he said, this has given great uh, uh, encouragement to support to the people of the Ukraine. Jerry, that really struck me. These, these are great public relations opportunities. This is clearly not what Pope Francis wants to do. This is not a public relations stint. Uh, he spent a long time uh, talking at the embassy and then obviously making this personal call to Zelensky. But he still hasn't called out Putin. Uh, when everybody else has said this is Putin's war, Pope Francis is holding back. Why is that? Well, it's obviously he doesn't see the value in naming and shaming. It would have cost him nothing to say Russia has attacked, but this would be a mistake because it's not the Russian people. If he called out uh, Putin, then he would have no possibility of dialoguing with the man. The man is already pretty isolated from the comments and pretty uh, insulated from what others think. And uh, so he, he was anxious to try to find a way to talk to both sides. Now, remember, Russia and the Ukraine both have diplomatic uh, relations with the Holy See. And Pope uh, Francis is sharp. He, he sizes up a person rather quickly. And he obviously chose that if, if we're to even have a possibility, a remote chance of dialogue, it will not come from naming and shaming Putin as the responsible for the war, which he clearly is. On Sunday, the Pope's right-hand man, Cardinal Parolin, the Secretary of State, like a prime minister in a country, he said that the Vatican is ready to mediate. They will do anything to try and bring about peace or to help to facilitate peace. Jerry, is mediation even possible in this situation? I asked this of a senior Vatican official, and he said, we're ready to mediate, but for mediation, you have to have the invitation of two sides. Now, the Ukrainians have made very clear that they would welcome the mediation of the Holy See. No such indication has come from Russia. I said, but, well, maybe with the Patriarch of Moscow, he could mediate. He said, yes, if we could get the Patriot of Moscow to agree with the Pope. But he said, I don't think the Patriot of Moscow would be happy if the Pope just began mediating alone. We know the Patriot of Moscow is, of course, close to President Putin. And Putin now identifies himself as an Orthodox Christian. But, you know, while Pope Francis is certainly hoping to be a conduit for brokering peace here in Russia and Ukraine, there are other forces at play, right? This historic conflict between Russia and Ukraine is a political one. It's also a religious one. There are strong religious tensions, uh, not just religious tensions, but especially strife between Christians, Catholics and Orthodox believers in both countries. And more specifically, this time-old tension within the Russian and Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And I really want to get into that with you because it seems from what we've heard that this is being exploited, certainly by Russian forces and Vladimir Putin specifically. But let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll get into those religious tensions.
The religious factor here in this Russia-Ukraine conflict is a significant one. And Putin is clearly exploiting the religious factions between the two countries and even within countries. First of all, Ricardo, you have to realize that Christianity came to the Ukraine, to Russia, and to Belarus, which is also part of this conflict now, from Kiev in 988, more than a thousand years ago, Prince Vladimir of Kiev was baptized. So Christianity came from Kiev to Moscow, not the other way around. Today, the majority of the people of the Ukraine are Christians, Orthodox Christians. More than half of the people of Russia are Orthodox Christians. Also in, in Belarus, Catholics are a small percentage of this, maybe 5 million, 6, 7%, maybe 8% of the population of the Ukraine are Catholic. But they are also Greek Catholic because the Catholics that are in the Ukraine were a splinter group from the Orthodox in 1596. Today, you have majority Orthodox population in Ukraine. But the Ukraine Orthodox have been, in these recent centuries, been, as it were, dominated from Moscow. The Moscow Orthodox, the, the Russian Orthodox, have been very close to the authorities. So today, the Orthodox Church in, 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 in Russia is very close to Putin. In Ukraine, originally the Orthodox were subject to Moscow, but then they became more nationalist. And so a split in the Orthodox in the Ukraine took place. The other part of the Orthodox Church in the Ukraine said, no, no, we're staying with Moscow. But what has happened very significantly in this conflict, Ricardo, when Russia invaded the Ukraine, the bishops, the Orthodox bishops of the Ukraine said to the Patriarch of Moscow, you call for peace, you call for an end to the fighting. All of them, both sides of the divided Orthodox community in Ukraine, they were defending their country, their nationalism, and they were separating, splitting with the position of the uh, Patriarch of Moscow, who first of all said that all of us, Ukrainians and Russians, we belong to the same Christian community. But then, yesterday, the day before, the Agence France Presse, the French news agency, quoted him as saying that it was the forces of evil in Ukraine that were opposing Russia. And they didn't like, the Orthodox did not like this at all. Jerry, let's just stop here. I mean, th the person we're talking about here is Patriarch Kirill of Moscow, right? This is a man who has met with Pope Francis before in Cuba and who Pope Francis is expecting to meet with, we think, either in June or July. How's that now affected? Well, last Friday, Putin spoke on Monday of last week. But the Friday before, the Russian ambassador to the Holy See said that the Pope could meet the Patriarch Kirill on June or July. Now, some observers said, is this a kind of a preemptive bid to stop the Pope saying anything about the, the, the Russian invasion? Because now we know that Putin had decided on this invasion last October. And so when all those tanks and maneuvers started in this November, December, January, in the beginning of February, we didn't know at this time that Putin had already decided 
way back in October, this was the path he was going to choose. So this is really quite nefarious. I mean, it, it certainly seems to me as nefarious. We know that religion inflames passions. We also know that while religion has the capacity to bring peace, it has the capacity to divide peoples. And this is clearly what Putin is exploiting. Two things I would say, Ricardo. First of all, the Orthodox Church in most countries tends to be close to, it tends to be nationalist in a way. It tends to be close to the authority, to the, to the government. Secondly, uh, Putin in his speech on the Monday before he invaded Ukraine, he said that he was also coming in, be, going to act because of the attack on the sweet Orthodox religion by the leadership in the Ukraine. Anybody who wishes to check the text of the speech will find this. So he, he, Putin, in my estimation, I think the estimation of many observers, is manipulating religion for political purposes too. But it is very significant that the, even the, though the Orthodox in the Ukraine today are divided into two churches, one close to Moscow, one close to Constantinople, they both are on the same page in opposing the Russian invasion of their country. I realize it's it's complicated for listeners to uh, kind of move through this complicated religious reality. It's complicated, but it's certainly essential. You know, I mean, we, we've been saying this for some time that we need to dig deeper into what is going under the conflict. We went into it a little last week. Um, and that this certainly gives us greater clarity. But religion is not the cause of this conflict. It is not a key factor. It's a political power drive. Religion is involved because the president is involved, because of the nature of the Orthodox Church in the respective countries. Sure. and But it also seems that religious unity is at the heart of this in many ways, right? It's in, in Ukraine, as you were saying, where Orthodox on both sides and Catholics and all religious believers are coming together in opposition to Putin. And we know that you know, while maybe some of the public discourse from religious leaders um, swings both sides, religious believers themselves uh, are speaking out, even in Russia, where religious believers are saying, this is not on, this cannot continue this way. Yes, and you know, Ricardo, this makes it very complicated for the Vatican. The President Zelensky, when he visited Pope Francis in 2020, he invited him to come to the Ukraine. The Catholic bishops wanted him to come. The Orthodox would even be happy. But the Pope would have to navigate difficult religious divisions because if he met the leader of the Orthodox group in the Ukraine, which is separated from the Patriarch of Moscow, the Patriot of Moscow would probably break with the Pope because he has more or less excommunicated them and he has split with Bartholomew, who is the first patriarch among equals of the patriarchs, over this question. So the religious question is another very significant thing and it's very sad because you see a further splintering of Christianity. But it has not caused this war and it is very clear that across the religious divide, divided as they are in in the Ukraine, they are against this invasion by Putin. Thank you, Jerry. We're going to have to leave it there, but be assured of our prayers, our continuing prayers for Elisabetta, who is there, your wife, 
and for all the people of Ukraine and for peace in our world in so many places where, where there is conflict. Pope Francis has reminded us that there's more than one conflict ongoing in the world at this time. And so let us keep praying for peace, especially as we begin this Lenten season. And as Andrei Zelensky, who is a Jesuit and a military chaplain uh, in Ukraine, wrote to me the other day, unfortunately, this story won't end soon. So I'm sure we'll come back to this very soon on Inside the Vatican. Thank you, Ricardo. I, I think what you've said is absolutely true. Nobody expects this conflict to end in a week. Thank you. And thank you for listening. You can follow our ongoing coverage and analysis of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and Pope Francis' involvement in the ongoing conflict on our website, americamagazine.org. We have also linked to some of our most recent stories in the show notes. American Media has a very special offer for you this Lent. To help our digital subscribers on their journey toward Easter, our team has written daily Lenten reflections. The authors of these reflections include Father Matt Malone, Gloria Purvis, Father James Martin, Colleen Dully, me, and many more. To get access to these reflections, visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe and become a subscriber today. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by me, Ricardo De Silva, and Maggie Van Dorn. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Production assistance from Robert Balasser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside, without the second I, Vatican Pod. For Colleen Dully and Gerardo Connell, I'm Ricardo De Silva. This is Inside the Vatican. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.